Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is The Solo Collective, and I'm Rebecca Seal. The best bits about working for myself are that I have more or less complete autonomy, flexibility, and the ability to choose whenever I take my lunch. But for all the positives, working alone is also hard. There was no roadmap for me about how to do this correctly. I read so much, countless books, articles and studies on how to be more productive or how to be more creative or how to work less but better. And they helped, but I thought there could be more. So, in 2019, I decided to bring together everything I had read and the experience of 10 years of working by myself and write a book, Solo, How to Work Alone and Not Lose Your Mind. The thing I'm really excited about with this series is that I get to talk to experts who really know their stuff when it comes to topics like burnout and happiness and rest and how to manage the relationships in our lives when we work from home or work for ourselves. And I am so delighted that this episode is with Emma Gannon, who you might know because, uh, let's face it, she's massive (laughs) online. She's also host of a brilliant podcast called Control-Alt-Delete. I first came to her work through her book, The Multi-Hyphen Method, and then I read her book on self-sabotage. That's what we're going to be talking about today. The self-sabotage book is about her quest to try and not sabotage herself and her work and her life as a whole. And it's about her trying to understand where sabotage comes from and how we do it to ourselves. And it's so useful, first, to listen to someone's conversation with themselves about that, But it's also really profound, I think, to get access to somebody's difficult bits because so much of what we're presented with on social media and online is the perfect bits, the good bits. And I love that she has been so honest. One of the bits of the self-sabotage book that I found particularly useful was Emma's self-sabotage list. And it's basically a list of things that she is working on ways in which she's aware that she self-sabotages and things that she wants to be conscious of in her day-to-day life. And I just thought this was a brilliant idea. And I wasn't even aware of doing until I read her list. Like, basically, when you behave as though your inner voice is, in fact, your mother, and you're like, no, I'm not going to do what you tell me, even when you know that the inner voice is completely right. There was something very raw about some of the things she wrote about in the self-sabotage book. I'm really grateful for that, and I think that this is a really, really great conversation. I'm really looking forward to sharing it. So the main thing I wanted to talk about how self-sabotage and sabotage works in your head, because I think it's really easy to look at people who have done what you've done and published books and a novel and have this online presence and think that it came really easily and and continues to come really easily. 
And I think what's particularly wonderful about the Sabotage book is that you're kind of laying out that that isn't true and therefore perhaps helping other people with their own expectations of what solo life or indeed life (laughs) can be like. And I wondered if you kind of value that honesty in other soloists. Um, Is that something which is quite important for you to do and to see? Definitely. And I think when I interviewed you for my podcast, like that resonated with so many people. You can tell that people are actually craving this. It's not just, oh, it would be nice to hear about the downsides or the honest truths or the vulnerabilities or the self-sabotage. I think we're getting to the point now where we actually have to start talking about this. It's not even a nice to have. I think that so many people in my life and around me were just completely frazzled and a lot of it came from working solo and a lot of it came from working from home which is sometimes kind of bundled in with the self-employment talk but we are in a state of kind of global trauma I would call it but also just a bit of a mental health crisis around work I think and because our lives are merging more than ever, not just for people like me who chose this lifestyle, but for everyone pretty much, when we don't have any physical boundaries anymore, we have to have psychological ones. And there aren't enough tools out there, just the simple tools that get us from our working day to our personal lives and how we can kind of carve these different selves within the 24 hours we have each day. So Uh, Yeah, it's really important. And to be honest, I didn't talk enough about it. In my 20s, I will put my hands up and say it was kind of about crafting the personal brand, making my career work. Now in my 30s, all I care about, to be honest, is talking about the truth behind what we're doing. Yeah, I mean, I think you're so right. It's so powerful, that stuff and, and sharing your personal experiences I've had exactly the same feelings it just it feels more and more important to say this this is how it's not working for me and this is how it is working as well and this is how it might work for you but this is where I went wrong this is a dead end that I hit or or whatever it might be I think one of the things which really struck me in the book was you're talking about imposter syndrome and I just think that's become even bigger of a problem in the last year or so and I just wonder if we can talk a bit about that, maybe how you felt it and and what we can say to people to try and help them dig themselves out of it. How can we shake it off? And is part of that celebrating the things that do go right and your successes, do you think? I think imposter syndrome, weirdly, and I write about this in Sabotage, gets louder the more you have evidence for being good at something, which is very bizarre and very ironic. I think people should know that because I think like you said at the beginning it's very easy to look at someone and think oh they're fine they have no reason to doubt themselves and what's been so interesting is when you look at some people who are literally at the top of their game you know I I heard David Nichols recently who is to me the best novelist in the world like I love his book so much saying that he couldn't write in lockdown and that he was completely creatively blocked everyone has this you know no one is immune to it And for me, what was really interesting writing Sabotage was just labelling things. I think I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a mental health expert, but I have seen the power of words and knowing what is going on in your head and just giving it a name. So learning what the inner critic was, I was like, oh, I have that. I have this little voice that just creeps in and a little bit of self-doubt is amazing. Like when, when I'm editing a book, I need to be like, could that be better? 
Yes, it probably could, so I'll make it better. But when your inner critic is so loud that it turns into this troll, that is just getting in the way. And why I wanted to write Sabotage was when you're getting in the way of your own success, that's when we need to dig a little deeper and work out how we can tone it down a bit. My therapist was suggesting naming the inner critic, like giving it a really terrible name <laughs> so as to separate it from yourself and yes. um, make it something something or someone that you can kind of reject rather than being part of you, which I yeah, think is that's interesting Yeah, that's really trick. good. Yeah. I don't name mine, but I definitely visualise it. So for me, it's like a little bit of a tantrum-y toddler. It's like this screaming child that just wants to be heard and you just need to be like, I hear you, I'll feed you. No, shh. Yeah. <laughs> like, no need to just scream the house down like you're not in control, you're a child type thing. But also something that has helped me is also on the other side, being more compassionate and speaking to myself in the third person sometimes is so, it's such a kind of act of, it's almost quite maternal. You know, when you're just really tired and really grumpy and really snappy, it's just kind of talking to yourself and soothing yourself is a big part of reducing your self-sabotage is yeah like taking care of yourself like you would a friend or a daughter or you know giving yourself that sort of tender discipline. Now that's really interesting because I shout at myself with my surname in the third person when I'm really annoyed with myself like come on seal <laughs> which is like the opposite <laughs> of what you're suggesting so I'm going to stop should... doing that. <laughs> seal is good but maybe it's you're doing a great job today seal. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. What do you think the most kind of common ways that people sabotage themselves are? Like, what are we most likely to do to get in our own ways, do you think? Something that comes up a lot is the assumptions people make about themselves. It's wild out there. The things that people think they are. Just people thinking, oh, I'm not good at that. Oh, I could never do that. Oh, I'm not the type of person that would do that. It's like, where does that come from? And it does come from somewhere. And the reason I wrote the book is not to say, here's the answers. I'm not a guru of any kind. But just taking the time to work out where things come from is such a good starting point. For me, I worked out that something that someone had said to me years ago was the reason I was doubting myself about something very, very specific. And I realized that I didn't even say it. It was something external that had just lodged in my brain. This happens a lot when people are put down at university or at school and someone says you're not very good at playing guitar or something and then they literally can't look at a guitar ever again. And it's so sad. So I know that people always recommend journaling and I know it's a bit of an eye roll thing at this point, but if you do just find yourself with like 30 minutes spare one night or one morning, even just starting to write down the assumptions you have about yourself and just starting to unpick them is really good. Yeah, that's a really neat idea. I've been trying to do journaling recently and I'm really I'm really kind of weird about it. I find it really difficult, kind of physically uncomfortable almost to do it, which probably means it's a really good thing to do. I also think there's a slightly kind of I'm I'm responding to it because it's trendy too, like I'm I'm being a bit childish, but whenever I, I do like do that. it it's really useful. No, I I literally hated the idea of journaling for years because I thought it was it was just so textbook that it annoyed me but I've realized now that from reading a lot of writing books recently that you are writing differently than you would on a laptop just because your hand is like connected to I don't want to say the universe let's not go there with the spiritual stuff but it's definitely <laughs> coming out from like a different flow and you're being more honest with yourself I think when you're writing by hand 
And also, we're such rule followers in this society. We always follow the rules. When you're writing in a journal with like messy handwriting and like going all over the margins and not going in the lines, for me, that is needed because everything else is so like a Word document that is edited. It's just a place to be yourself again. And I think that at the moment, we're missing those moments that we might have had in social situations where you might have gone out with some friends and I don't know had a couple of glasses of wine too many and then said a bunch of stuff that you didn't even know you thought (laughs) or whatever you know we because we're so kind of socially restricted we don't give our brains that outlet very often and I think that I almost felt when I wrote these few pages I don't know a couple of weeks ago I felt a bit like I was talking to a friend in a really odd way I really like that. And also we name our emotions wrong all the time. So for example, a few weeks ago, I was just feeling a bit down. And then when I started writing, I realized I was actually really angry and they're different emotions. And I just started realizing that I was, I was livid (laughs) and I, and just realizing, oh, I'm angry. And I'm writing like into the page, like tearing it. That was just needed. I needed to know how I was feeling a bit more. And I think if you're working on your own, then you can be cut off at any time and you can be cut off from the opportunity to have social interactions. I mean, when I worked from home and was just writing books, even when you could go out, (laughs) I hardly ever did. So, I mean, the whole point, the reason I came to write the solo book in the first place is that I was horribly, horribly, horribly lonely. And I think all of this stuff kind of, it's it's a tangle together, isn't it? If you, if you don't have enough people in your life to talk to and you're not connected to enough people, then you can't begin to unpackage how you feel about things or give emotions the right names either. You're even more kind of far away from that, I think. Definitely. And what's really interesting about loneliness is, you know, that quote that's really cheesy, but, you know, you can be lonely in a crowded room thing. What I've found is you can actually have quite a lot of people around you or near you or someone to talk to online or whatever but actually it really just takes one or two people in your life who you're really connected to I've really found that I don't need many friends I I'm lucky to have like people but I actually only need like maybe my five friends really and I think culturally we are fed this like Taylor Swift girl gang thing of like you have to have 30 friends on your hen do I don't really know 30 people that well, I don't yeah. think. So I just, I, I really like that. And I, I actually interviewed Gillian Anderson on the podcast once and she said, I don't have really many friends. And I was like, and you're the coolest woman alive. So <laughs> thank you for just setting this new trend that like you don't need a million friends. You just need some some good ones. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. How can we identify if we are self-sabotaging like how how can we see it in our lives? Is it possible to kind of identify it ourselves, do you think? Or is it something we need to do with a bit of help? Or what what do you think the best way is of kind of nailing whether we're kind of undoing all the brilliant things that we could all be doing? <laughs> I think we know we're doing it. It's just do we want to admit we're doing it? Because right. we can self-sabotage and just kind of paper over the cracks quite easily. I think you realise you're doing it when you take a minute and you reflect and you think, you know that thing I said I wanted to do in January? Well, it's September and I haven't started it yet. You know, procrastination is fine. We all procrastinate sometimes. Pottering around the house, 
can lead to an amazing idea sometimes. It's not bad. It's just if we get really honest with ourselves, when you kind of write a list of all the excuses of why it's not happening, you can look at that sometimes and just think, if I'm being completely honest with myself, is it all of these lots of excuses or is it because I'm getting in my own way? And the book is not at all about self-blame. I really wanted that to be clear. This isn't a like, you're lazy and you're not doing it. It's just, we're so scared of things. We're so scared of failure and we're so scared of success that we we don't want to do it because we're just scared. And self-sabotage is actually us protecting ourselves. It's actually a really nice thing. Your Your brain is like, no, don't try, don't try, because you might be sad and it might not work out. But, you know, we have to take risks and we have to push through the fear sometimes. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I also love the fact that your your Reiki therapist helped you come to that realization. Like that was such a wonderful story. Can you sort of recap that? Because I just think it was what, what an amazing moment to have a realization. I'm, I'm sure it wasn't just that that made you... Um, that made you realise that you were kind of holding yourself back in certain places. But was it kind of, it sounded, when I read it, it sounded like it was quite a bombshell. Did it feel like that at, at the moment? Or was it a relief to kind of have some understanding come through? Yes. And I mean, I will say, big disclaimer, there are things that happen sometimes and it almost doesn't matter if they're true. Like <laughs> it doesn't, it almost doesn't matter if she actually knew and mind read my in my mind, or whether she just sort of said something off the cuff and it resonated. Sometimes that happens. And I've had it again recently with reflexology, which I love. And there is no scientific evidence that necessarily someone massaging your feet leads to like big epiphanies. But sometimes she just says something and I'm like, wow, that's really touched, you know, a nerve. And I'm so glad she said it. So yeah, she was the one that said, you need to stop getting in your own way. And I think she noticed that every time she would say something, I would find a way to belittle myself or put myself down. She was clearly seeing someone who was not comfortable at all in like sitting in where I was in my life. I think what she was saying was big things could happen, but you need to let them happen. And it was like, whoa, okay. And there's a bit in the book, actually, a quote about how it's not just like, I want my dreams to come true. It's it's actually, are you going to let them come true? <laughs> yeah. Because we don't want to sometimes. We, we'd rather just stay really small and really safe. And this ties into a lot, especially with women, with self-promotion. Because the idea of putting yourself out there is actually 
genuinely terrifying for a lot of people and it all plays into the same thing. I think procrastination is fundamentally fear, like almost entirely. I think almost always when I am not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, it's because I'm scared that I'm about to find out that I can't do it or that someone will hate what I've produced. Even though I've been writing articles for newspapers and magazines for 17 years, (laughs) I still don't necessarily believe that I can do it again every single time I sit down to do one. And I just, I think it's such a common experience for people, regardless of their occupation. And again, I think it's particularly strong if you're on your own and there's no one next to you to say, no, you can, you definitely can. Or why aren't you doing that thing? Like that was something I definitely noticed transitioning out of working in an office. And perhaps you had the same experience was that although the fear isn't necessarily different, you do have people around you to make you accountable. And that's one of the things which I think allows much more procrastination and kind of fear driven behavior to happen when you work by yourself, because there just aren't physically people around saying, I thought you were meant to be doing that. Or have you written that? (laughs) Why are you here? Shouldn't you be in that thing? (laughs) Or whatever. So true. And yeah, I think that's one of the chief difficulties actually of being by yourself is not having a kind of cheerleading team. Definitely. It's it's like the accountability I really struggled with. And also I've worked for myself now for maybe five or six years and I never have anyone saying, I'm going to give you a promotion. (laughs) I just never have anyone being like, you've done a great job today or you could do better. And actually I was reading a business book the other day and I closed it because I was like, I don't want to read any more of this because it was triggering me. And it was like, you need to apparently, if you work for yourself, ask people for feedback (laughs) every so often. I was like, I don't want to do that. I know I should. I know I should email my team and be like, am I okay to work with any pointers on how I can be better? But it's really scary to do that. I'm procrastinating on that. And I and I think it's good advice, but it's really scary. Yeah, it's like the advice that you should in- email people if you don't get a job interview and ask why you didn't get the job. You know, what could you have done oh, better in the interview? And it's just like, oh God, what a scab to pick. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I totally agree. I'm really bad at asking for feedback. I only want positive feedback, basically. That's all I'm interested in. <laughs> Me too, me too. And that's why I save loads of nice emails in a little folder. Sometimes I go in there and read them. Because I think, also, I don't know if I think that being self-employed and being solo means you have to use these rules that were set in the workplace. I don't know if I want to be like, oh, okay, I don't have an HR team and I don't have um, someone giving me feedback, so I should fill in a form. Like, I don't. that's not how I want to work. That's not why I work for myself. But I do think that compassion for yourself is so important when you're working for yourself. I know it sounds cheesy, but I think you do need to be that friend. You know, like you were saying about your articles, I'm writing another book at the moment and I have sometimes I have these thoughts of like, oh, you're so rubbish, you haven't done much today. But if my friend rang me and said, oh, I'm so rubbish, I haven't done much today, I would say, go and make yourself a cup of tea. Don't you worry, tomorrow's a new day. I would come out with all the lovely advice for her. So I think it's just turning that on yourself. And it's it's easier said than done. It's much easier said than done. You're so right. I don't know why we find it so hard. I listened to Laurie Santos' podcast, The Happiness Lab, the other day. And she was talking to somebody who was helping her with diet and self-esteem. And the advice there was to feed yourself as though you were feeding a loved one. And I think actually that's advice that you can kind of translate far more broadly, can't you? That you should just treat yourself like a loved one 
always <laughs> just yes. like a really good that. friend <laughs> yes and and I have been known to be a bit mean about the cookbooks that say you should sprinkle you know lovely chili flakes on your on your morning avocado because it's like you would do it for your loved one and I, I and now I take it back I do that and it makes such a difference make nice things for yourself yeah and also it reminds me of Julia Cameron's the artist date in the artist way she says that you should take yourself on little creative dates and I do that sometimes you just go to a cafe order something delicious and just like yeah go on a date with yourself I love that yeah I think that's so important and all of these tricks I imagine are ones that can kind of cut self-sabotage off of the knees right the more of this stuff that we do the less those self-sabotage things will rear up does that sound right to you well, I think if you're connecting with who you really want to be and your actual real self, you can't really sabotage yourself. I think what happens with sabotage, and this is something I learned from Martha Beck, you've got kind of two selves. You've got like your real self, like your essential self, the person who wants to go on the creative dates. And then you've got your like animal self, your social self that is just so cultured. And what happens is you have this thought that, I really want to write a novel. And then your like over-socialized cultural self tells you you're stupid and you can't do it. But actually your real self is crying out for it. Like that's all that self wants to do. And so I think you just live with this constant clash of like not being your true self. So I think the more you like get to know yourself and know what you want, the compassion will follow, I think. Yeah. Sorry if that sounds a bit out there um but I'm so into this at the moment like I'm I, I'm reading so much about it and the more you speak to yourself in that way the more it becomes like a real habit I can't work out if things that are out there are becoming more in there or if I'm getting more out there I can't really tell <laughs> like yeah I feel as though I'm nodding to everything you're saying yep that totally makes sense completely get that yep sounds like something my therapist is into like I'm um, yep all, all good <laughs> And then I think, I wonder how this sounds if you're not into this stuff. But I actually do think, in all seriousness, that these ideas are just taking hold in a more widespread way because they are accurate, because they work, because they help people feel better and live better. And that just means they're incredibly valuable. So I don't think it is out there. But if we are, we're we're there together. So... Fine. Well, I think you're right. I think it's becoming more mainstream, if anything. But I just find it interesting that when you tell someone your routine, sometimes I can still see like someone's glazed over eyes a little bit when they're like, wow, you rub your crystal every morning. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't have any crystals. That is true. But and I've said this a few times recently, give it a year. <laughs> And I could be doing all sorts of things because I feel as though I quite often say, no, no, I'm not, I'm never going to journal. It's not for me. And then six weeks later, there I am journaling away because I really think as a solo person, as a solo worker, you, you kind of owe it to yourself to try new things of this sort, because there are quite a few pitfalls to being by yourself so much of the time. And I think you've got to do a few things to shore yourself up. And I mean, I'm not sure crystals is necessarily going to be one of them for me, but some of those things, and there is slightly a kind of throw some paint at the wall thing, isn't there? Just try a few things and see what sticks, see what feels like it helps. Yes, definitely. It's all experimentation at the end of the day. But also we're allowed to miss people and we're allowed to want to be with human beings. And when you spoke so candidly about the loneliness of your kind of situation and how 
it's very normal to want to have a hug and to want to see your friend and to want to be with people. So that compassion, it should extend beyond, like these things aren't always going to be the answer either, if you know what I mean. Like it's all sort of getting us through for now. Yeah, yeah. And when that happens, we can kind of pick and choose which of these techniques we want to take through into the rest of our lives. I wondered how you're doing with your self-sabotage list <laughs> of things that you're working on. Cause I just, I just loved that. I just, I thought I should write one of my own so that I've got a clear idea of the things that I need to kind of concentrate on. Mine, one of mine is definitely sim- similar to yours in that I have a tendency to kind of get really nervous about stuff that I've got to do the next day and either stay up really late or drink too much wine. <laughs> and I feel, I feel like it's such a it's such an easy trap to fall into doing those things. And I just wondered, do you think, I mean, do you ever think you'll be done with that list? Is that, give me some hope. Am I going to get through all of the things and tick them off and they'll all be gone? <laughs> or does it not work thing, like that? <laughs> well, I think the thing with the list is they're all great ideas. And I think I wanted to write them down because they were things that I felt were getting in my way, but I needed to deal with them a little bit. But I think the more important thing isn't, I'm never going to do this again. It's more just being aware of it. So for example, I used to drink late into the night before a meeting without knowing that's what I was doing, if that makes sense. And then I would yeah. like have a hangover in the meeting, do a rubbish job and not realise that me being nervous was leading me down this path. Now, I just feel like I'm consciously making every single decision. And that's not to say I'm like enlightened, but what I'm saying is um, if I'm having the wine, I'm like consciously doing it and thinking, no, I want this. I'm going to have it. And then sometimes I'm l- like the motherly figure. No, Emma, you're going to have an alcohol-free Bex tonight and you're going to pop yourself into your lovely clean sheets and you're going to read a bit of your book and you're going to go to bed. And I think that's the difference is there's nothing right or wrong. This isn't you're not allowed to drink red wine. It's just being that compassionate self and knowing what you're doing, basically calling yourself out a little bit more. For me, it works really well. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. I am going to try and adopt that maternal voice more often on Tuesdays (laughs) when when you shouldn't have wine. Um, And are there times or places where you think self-sabotage is more likely to happen, like for you or for other people? And How do we sort of dig ourselves out of holes if we feel like we're falling into sabotage holes, do you think? Well, I think we can be triggered by things and it's very, very unique to us what that trigger is. I read somewhere that you are basically just feeling the same emotions over and over again. They're not necessarily new. So it's very easy for something to, for an image or a memory or the way someone is speaking to you or you've been rejected, it can take you back to the most rejected you've ever been and you start feeling like that all over again and you literally live it again. And that is something that um, I really relate to when someone was like explaining that to me because even though my career is going quite well, I can have moments where I'm taken back to just an awful time where I thought like everything was over very easily. It can happen. And so that for me has been something that I've been working through because you're not we're just not immune to it. It just doesn't go away. We just have to manage it. And I think once we realize that managing your own mental health is like a bit of a job to do, 
it shouldn't have to be a chore necessarily, but it is definitely important to factor it into your day-to-day life. So just knowing I'm doing that is is always good. I'm like, oh, I'm doing that thing where I'm um, reliving the past. Like, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. And then can we just talk a bit about what your solo working life looks like and what you love about it and what you maybe struggle with about working solo? Because as we discussed earlier, it's I think it's just really important that we're all kind of honest about the great bits and the not so great bits. Yes. So the great bits are, I don't have a boss and I love it. And I love that back in the day, I could go away whenever I wanted, not necessarily long haul flights or anything, but, you know, I could get on a train and take my laptop and go and stay somewhere else and do some writing. Like for me, adventure and spontaneity and flexibility are like just the dream. And every day I'm lucky. I feel lucky that I get to just essentially do what I want. I can design my day however I want to design it. And that is, to me, amazing. But the downsides is that I used to be such a people pleaser and I'm still trying to like shrug off that people pleasing robe. (laughs) It's still half on. And so saying yes to too many things and not having enough boundaries in place, it can be very overwhelming and I can be very, very close to burning out in a big way. And that is something that I'm just still working out, but it's it's getting there. It's just when you're working solo, there's no one to spread it out onto. And there are days where I fantasize about when I did work in an office where I'd go, right, I'm off on holiday, out of office is on, bye suckers, I'm off. And then everyone else has to do the work. That I can't ever do that now. I, and And sometimes that is so overwhelming and and the pressure can get so much because even though I'm not saving the world and my job isn't that important, you can still feel the crushing like responsibility on just you. Yep. <laughs> I identify with all of that. <laughs> what do you think is the most recent thing you've done to improve your solo working life? Or if you haven't, what would you like to do to improve your solo life? Basically, I am someone who could just be on my emails the whole day because I, I, I'm not very good at just leaving them. I'm I'm a bit obsessive in that way. I just need to answer them or at least read them or bookmark them or put them in a folder. Like I'm just obsessed with that. So I've set up a separate email address now where anything urgent is there and I don't need to, I just don't need to be checking messages all day. And that has really changed everything. It's just a small example, but it's just an example of setting boundaries in a way where you're making your, your sort of digital space work for you a bit better. There was a guy I interviewed in the book, actually, who um, runs Qubits, the brilliant eyewear company. Oh, I love them. And he got through a really difficult stage in his beginning of his career by um, setting up accounts at Qubits as an email address for all the money stuff to go to so that he didn't have to look at the money stuff all the time. And I think it's funny, they're tiny things to do, but they're so effective. They make such a huge difference. I'm glad that, that you've shared that example because I actually have another email address that I send bits of inspiration to like for my newsletter and it's a bit of a dumping ground for like things to read things to do I email myself reminders and I'm not saying this is like everyone should do this I just think it's like the experimentation thing experiment with what works for you because for me having a few different email addresses for different things has genuinely changed my life (laughs) because I'm kind of compartmentalizing bits of my job and 
I feel like we're all just working out what works for us the whole time, aren't we? We're just trying new things, seeing what sticks. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think solo workers should sort of shrug off the idea that we have to follow the office way of doing things. You know, I think even if you've never worked in an office, we're all quite steeped in the kind of traditional ways of working. And that is the brilliant thing, whether you work remotely or you are fully self-employed, you can try new things because nobody's looking. (laughs) That's the brilliant thing. You can you can try all sorts of new stuff, like a standing desk if you want. And no one will point at you and laugh because you're just, you know, no one can see you like whatever it might be. Um, I think it's it's such an exciting opportunity to be able to change the way you work, make it work for you. The only thing I would add is that there is this weird myth around solo working that you are just flitting around like free all the time. And I think it's because maybe they just see you as like someone that does multiple things, is flexible, but flexible doesn't mean always around for like someone to visit you or call you whenever they feel like it or dm you on instagram a work thing there are just certain things where you have to set the boundaries and be like no no my shop window is actually shut now sorry you can't come in sounds really simple but just spelling that out is really really important i think just to say this is when i'm available this is when i'm not and um you know i'm a normal worker like everyone else and i think that that applies to both sides of life as well though doesn't it because it's you know, when you're at work, you're at work and people can talk to you about work stuff. And when you're not at work, they shouldn't. But equally, I think one of the difficulties about solo working is that the the kind of family stuff or social stuff or whatever can bleed in. So you get picked on to be the person who goes and gets the parcel or, you know, collects the thing from the dry cleaners or or whatever it might be. And, and that kind of second rates your work when you're put in that position but it's also quite difficult to say no but then as you say there's also this expectation that you're you're available as a friend perhaps I I get it all the time even from some of my friends who I love dearly but they'll be like are you working today I'm like yeah I work most days yeah because it's my job (laughs) yeah it's just like I think they genuinely think I just like just pick and choose when I want to work which is sort of true but it's kind of not Yeah, because if you genuinely picked not working all the times you didn't want to work, we wouldn't do any work. So you don't have full choice. Yeah, it's just it's just funny that that there's still that perception of like, I'm just in the park drinking beers every day. (laughs) Yeah, I literally think my friends think I spend the whole summer just sitting in the garden drinking wine, which I would love. But, you know, definitely couldn't be further from the truth. (laughs) It's such a delight talking to you. I could do this for hours. I just think, I think what you do is so brilliant. You too. And I genuinely feel like when we meet up in real life, we'll feel like we've been on these like Zoom dates. Yes. And we're finally meeting (laughs) and it's going to be so lovely. Oh, I love that idea. Yeah, it's going to be brilliant. I am going to be really stressed about what to wear. That is true. So it will be like a date. (laughs) Well, I haven't seen anything like past the shoulders. So. (laughs) Thank you so, so much. I really, really appreciate it. And I know that you're actually meant to be writing a book and therefore I've stolen an hour of your book writing day. So thank you for giving it to us. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. 
I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Emma Gannon as much as I did. Uh, There's so many brilliant takeaways from this conversation, but I'm definitely going to try and start listening to the good bits of my inner voice, the bits where my inner voice sounds like my mum telling me to do the right things for myself. I'm going to try and not be rebellious against myself and put my own best interests first a little bit more. I'm also going to try and treat myself with a bit more compassion, maybe take myself on a little date. I really hope that that's what it prompts you to do as well. You have been listening to a Chalk and Blade original, The Solo Collective, with me, Rebecca Seal. Produced by Laura Hyde, with support from Fatuma Keira, original music by Dee Plume, and mixed by Alex Portfelix. Chalk and Blade. 